series in the Gospel of Mark. If you have been with us, you know that we've been walking verse by verse throughout this Gospel, uh, just trying to uh, get to know Jesus better. Uh, we, if we want to follow Him, we ought to know Him better. And so we've been walking through this Gospel over the last several months, and we're going to uh, continue all the way through the end uh, of, of the Gospel of Mark. And today, what I want to talk to you about is the what I believe is one of the greatest threats to the body of Christ. This is a threat that will ensnare us, it will deceive us, it will capture us. And here's the problem with this threat. It camouflages the truth. It is very difficult to to discern and to discover. Because the reality is this threat is so dangerous because, because what it does is it masks itself in passion and in zeal. And here's the truth. Those of us that have been in the church the longest, those of us who have been active in the church for the longest amount of time, are the most susceptible to falling into this threat, to its trap. Because here's what happens. This threat will cause us to become good church members. See, the people that fall into this trap are those that are serving those that are giving, those that are going on mission trips, those that are reading their Bibles, those that are memorizing Scripture. And that's where this threat is so deceptive. And so you may be wondering, Eric, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is the threat of legalism. The threat of legalism. You see, it's when our religious rituals, when our church traditions, when our spiritual practices blind us both to our own sin and to the Savior that can redeem us and rescue us from our sin. And in Mark chapter 7, we're going to see how legalism can seduce us, how legalism can entrap us without us even knowing Because legalism is a gospel that is not the gospel. What it does is it masks itself. It masks itself in a passion for God. Without really, truly having to have a relationship with God. That's what legalism does. It masks itself as this passion, this desire for God. Without us really, truly having to have a relationship with God with God. And in Mark chapter 7, we see this turning point in the gospel of Mark. And what we see happening in the gospel of Mark is we are given a front row seat to the stark difference between the religion of the Pharisees and the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what we're going to see through this passage is that Jesus is going to reveal to us He's going to show us what legalism looks like and how we can identify it in our own lives. Because here's the truth. Legalism will define what you think about yourself and it will define what you think about others. That's what it does. And it traps us and it ensnares us. And and we're going to see in this passage in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus is going to come face to face 
with the Pharisees. And he's going to combat their legalism. And he's going to show us and reveal to us how we can identify this threat in our own lives. So in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, uh, here's what Scripture says. It says, Now, when the Pharisees had gathered to him... Now, just so you know, we'll pause right there. See, what has happened is the Pharisees have traveled, they've sent a delegation from Jerusalem to Capernaum, about 90 miles or so. And this well-trained theological debaters come to pick a fight with Jesus. And so this is what happened. So they come uh, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. And they saw that some of his disciples, some of Jesus' disciples, ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? In verse 6, And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So let's pause right there. So this group of Pharisees, this group of scribes, they have traveled from Jerusalem to Capernaum to confront Jesus, to pick a fight with Jesus. And the first thing they pick out the first thing that they, they, the first punch they throw is something that seems somewhat insignificant. It's really kind of a minor issue, this ceremonial hand washing. Now, coming out of COVID, this seems like a big deal, right? Like, yes, you should wash your hands. Like, for the love of everything holy, wash your hands, people. And, but here's the reality. This is not about hygiene. The Pharisees aren't coming to, to, to the disciples and saying, hey, guys, listen, If you don't wash your hands, you're going to get sick. That's not what they're doing at all. What they're doing is this is an issue of ritual purity and religious tradition. That's what this issue is all about. Ritual purity and religious tradition. You see, what the the, uh, Pharisees would do is they would add rules and regulations to Scripture. In other words, there's no biblical law that was broken by the disciples. The only thing that the disciples had failed to do was to follow some man-made rules and regulations. They had failed to do what the tradition of the elders told them to do. And if you'll notice in your Bibles, in Mark 7, verses 3 and 4, it's in parentheses. And the reason it's in parentheses is because Mark is giving some kind of editorial comment. He's saying, listen... The Pharisees have a bunch of these different rules. And some of the rules have to do with washing your hands. Others have to do with the way you wash pots and pans. Others have to have to do with these different forms of washing. Because the Pharisees had a ton of man-made rules that you were required to follow. And these extra rules were really religious virtue signaling. That's all they were. 
They were religious virtue signaling. And the, and the Pharisees would use these in order to judge someone else by whether or not they had knowledge of and whether or not they kept all of these rules and regulations that were made by man. And so the Pharisees, get this, the Pharisees used these rules, they used these regulations to control the lives of others. They used them to chip away at other people's freedom, and they used them to accumulate power for themselves. That sound familiar? That's what cancel culture is all about in our world today. This is just the religious version of cancel culture. This is just the religious version of let me see what I can do, what rules I can put in place to control you, to manipulate you, to chip away at your freedom. Why? Because for the Pharisees, rules were greater than relationships. What was more important to them was following rules than having a relationship with other people and even having a relationship with God. So the Pharisees placed these rules in, in place in order to protect biblical faith. But here's the problem. Legalism doesn't protect biblical faith. What legalism does is actually destroys it. As we're going to see in just a few moments, legalism actually, instead of freeing us from sin, it entraps us by man-made rules and regulations. Instead of, instead of protecting biblical faith, it tears it down because whenever we add to Scripture, whenever we add our own rules to what God has commanded, we inevitably subtract from it. We begin to focus on, not on the majors but on the minors. We begin to make those rules the, 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 the way that we live. And, and so what we, what we end up doing is we lose sight of what truly matters to God. We lose sight of what God actually desires. And when we devote ourselves to our own traditions, to our own ideas, we fail to devote ourselves to the things of God. And because of that, because legalism is so dangerous, because legalism will break down relationship both with others and with God, Jesus takes the gloves off. Like he throws the gloves on the ground and he's like, All right, come on guys, let's go. You want to rumble? You want to fight? We're going to go. And he throws the gloves off and he hits, the, he hits these Pharisees hard and fast and furious. And he shows the dangers of legalism and he teaches us how to spot it in our own lives. And the first thing we see is that legalists compare themselves to others. Legalism will cause you to compare yourself to other people. Notice what, the, notice what the Pharisees do. They come to Jesus with this spiritual superiority. They come to Jesus with this self-righteousness. And look what they say. They say, hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples do what we do? Why aren't your disciples as spiritual as we are? Why aren't your disciples living according to the tradition of the elders like we do? Why aren't they... In, in, in a right relationship with God like we are because we follow the rules. And your guys, they ignore the rules. Notice how they judge Jesus and his disciples by their own standard. 
not God's. Do you notice that? They judge them based on their own standards, by the tradition of the elders, by what has been passed down in addition to God's word. They're judging them, they're, they're determining whether they're right with God based on their own standard. And here's the truth, this religious washing had good intent. The intent of this religious washing and all these rules that they had put in place was really designed to show the Jews and to remind the Jews that they were unclean before a holy God. But here's the problem. They focused on the wrong issue. They focused on what was outside of them, not what was inside of them. See, the problem that the Pharisees had is the same problem that you and I have. And it is this. That it's not our hands that are dirty and unclean, it's our hearts. But the Pharisees, because you can't judge someone's heart, only God can do that. What they did is they put this list of rules together in order to judge people based on those rules because they couldn't judge them based on their hearts because it's a whole lot easier to judge someone by their following of external rules than it is to look at their heart because you and I can't see their heart, only God can. So they use these rules in order to judge people and we do the exact same thing, don't we? When we're more concerned with someone else's behavior than we are the condition of our own hearts, what are we doing? We're comparing ourselves. We're placing ourselves above someone else because here's what, here's what comparison always does. Comparison always every single time, leads to a condemning spirit. Comparison always leads to a condemning spirit. Why? Because it creates this, this idea of spiritual elitism, which is always wrong in the kingdom of God. But if we create this spiritual elitism where we begin to assume that people are bad and people are in a wrong standing with God because they don't live up to our standards. That's what spiritual elitism does. That's what comparison does. It begins to create this critical, criti critical spirit within us. And we begin to criticize others. We begin to judge others. We begin con to condemn others because they don't live up to our standard. Let me give you an example. I grew up in, in somewhat more of a traditional, uh, legalistic type, uh, mainline church background, okay? And so when I became a Christian at 16, um, one of the things that, that we were kind of, I felt like we were taught, maybe we weren't, maybe I just misinterpreted it, but, but that, that having a quiet time was like spiritual superiority. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have quiet times, okay? So don't, don't send an email saying, hey, Eric, we should all have quiet times because we should. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you should spend time with Jesus. But here's what, here's what, here's what I felt like we were taught, that we were able to use quiet time in order to judge other people. So get this. When I was in high school, if I had a quiet time that morning, and only if I had it that morning, if I failed to have it, I wouldn't do this. But if I had it, what I would do is I would go to my friends that were in my youth group, and I would say, hey, guys, did you have your quiet time? Your attitude is a little stinky right now, so did you have your quiet? You probably didn't have your quiet time. And if they didn't, you know what I would do? I would judge them. And I would judge them well, and I would, man, I would be so superior to them spiritually. Oh, it was beautiful. But it was wrong. But that's what happens with legalism. So we would, I would use this, and I would, you know, I'd say, listen, 
This is a spiritual measuring rod. Why? Because it was, listen, it was easier to judge the fact that they didn't have their quiet time that morning. Now, they may have had plans to have it in the afternoon. It didn't matter. They didn't have it that morning, so I could judge them. But it was easier to judge their external behavior than it was the fact that I wasn't even loving my neighbor. Because that's a heart issue. And so it was easier to judge them. And so here's, here's how you measure this. And it, let me back up. Here's, how we need, here's what we need to do. We need to remind ourselves that we are all sinners. So just look at your neighbor and say, you are a sinner. Some of you are a little reluctant to do that. Look at yourself and say, I am a sinner. And we are. I am a sinner. I am one of the biggest sinners, if not the biggest sinner in this room. Now, don't say amen, Lynette. Because here's the reality. We, are, we have to remind ourselves, church, that we are all sinners. Every single one of us. And here's the truth. What happens is we begin to become convinced that other people's sins are far worse than our own. That's what legalism does. Here's the way you can measure. Here's the way you can determine if you've fallen into this trap. Are you more convicted? Are you more convicted about the behaviors, the words, and the actions of your neighbor than you are for yourself? Like if you were here this morning thinking, man, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this. What are you doing? You're comparing yourself to someone else. And ignoring the fact that you have a sinful heart. Are you, listen, are you more irritated by the sins, the weaknesses, and failures of your spouse than you are about your own? That's legalism at work in our lives, church. We have to realize and understand and be able to see this. Listen, if you are here this morning, if you've come to church and you're looking around the room and saying, you know what, I'm doing a little bit better than she is. I'm doing a little bit better than he is. He's got a little more together than me, but just a small hair so I can catch up with him pretty quick. Guess what? You're a legalist. That is legalism at work in our lives. When we begin to compare ourselves to other people and say, you know what? Based on the rest of you, I'm doing pretty well. That's legalism. That's not holiness. That's not godliness. That is legalism masking this. That's this mask of a passion for God without having to have a relationship with God and relationship with others. And that's what Jesus is combating here. We need to remind ourselves, we need to live each and every day with a deep awareness that the only hope that any of us have is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if we don't wake up every morning and say, you know what, my only hope is not the behaviors that I do today. My only hope is the fact that Jesus has died on my behalf. Then we're missing the boat. So legalism, what it does is it compares itself, it compares itself to others. But here's the other thing. Legalism... What Jesus said, legalists are spiritual actors and pretenders. Look at the scathing indictment Jesus gives in verse 6. He says, well, Isaiah wrote about you guys. And he said, you bunch of hypocrites. Jesus calls them out and says, listen, guys, you are a bunch of hypocrites. 
says you say that you love God. You say your prayers. You may sing in, during the worship service. You may lift your hands. You may do all that things. But your, your worship, your devotion doesn't go beyond your lips. See, these guys would say the right things about God. And yet, turn around and live entirely unholy lives. They, they would give God lip service. They would say the right things, but their hearts remained far from God. See, for them, worship, Jesus says, was meaningless. Their worship was purposeless. Their worship, Jesus says, was vain. It was, it was, it was worthless. Here, here's, the, here's the reality. If worship is more about you than it is about God, we've missed the boat. Listen, if worship is more about your performance, and if you use worship to look around the room and say, well, that person's raising their hands, they must be worshiping. That person's not, they must not be worshiping. Guess what? You and your ideas and your preferences have become the idol. Because we can't see one another's hearts. Only God can do that. Only God can compare the hearts. So if worship is more about you than it is about God, you are the idol. And true Christianity has always been about the heart. It's all, it's, God is not... Cons, God is... He's not satisfied with mere words. He's not satisfied with mere actions. He's not satisfied with just having knowledge. What he wants is your heart. That's what God desires. Because biblically speaking, the heart is the core of your being. The heart is the steering wheel of your life. The heart is what guides us, what directs us, what leads us. That's why Jesus said, if you want to know where your treasure is, what did he say? Follow your heart. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Because the heart drives us. The heart directs us. And so what God is after is your heart. Because if he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. God doesn't have your heart. He doesn't have you. It's not enough to jump through some behavioral hoops. It's not enough just to jump through some religious hoops what god desires is our heart and when our heart is ruled by other things all that all the rest of it according to jesus in this passage is vain worship it is purposeless meaningless worship it is neither worship that god desires nor god is satisfied with because true faith is always a matter of the heart obedience, true obedience is about the heart. That's why Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he moves the goalpost of what obedience looks like. He says, yeah, 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 listen, adultery, murder, those things are behaviors and those are actions. But here's, he says, listen, here's what I need you to know. Hatred, lust are equally as guilty. Why? Because those are heart issues. Those are matters of the heart. And Jesus is reminding us that unless our hearts are fully devoted to him, we are just as guilty 
as anyone else. So legalists also, the third thing legalists do is they prioritize their traditions over God's commandments. Legalism will cause us to, to prioritize our tradition over God's commands. Now listen, not all tradition is bad. Like I know some of you may think, well, Eric just hates tradition. Well, a lot of it, yes, but not all of it. Because not all tradition is bad. Not all tradition is bad, but tradition is bad when we put it at the same level or if we put it above Scripture. Because that's what the Pharisees would do. They would put their traditions either at the same level as God's Word or above God's Word. That's the way they treated tradition. The Pharisees had this Bible plus kind of religion where they would add to the Bible these traditions of men. And they would add them to, but here's what would happen. It would ultimately dilute God's commands. And they had this, this Bible plus. Look what he says in verse 8. You leave, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In verse 9, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. These are tough words from Jesus. Why? Because the Pharisees, their lives, their ministry, their, their relationship with God was all about rules. You've got to have the rules in place. If you don't have the rules in place, you really don't have a relationship with God. They were all about the rules. And that's the problem with legalism. Legalism replaces the revealed word of God with traditions, policies, rules, and regulations that are made by man. That's what legalism does. That's, what it, that's why it entraps us, because you can look and you can appear godly because you're following the rules, and yet you don't have a relationship and your heart is not devoted to the Lord. Now, I want to give some examples. So this is a moment and a place within the service where my goal is to make everybody angry. So if you're not already mad, just hold on. We're going to get mad in a minute. Why? Because this is the stuff that, that is threatening the body of Christ and it has been doing so for generations. So some of the, some of the rules we put in place is like what to wear for church worship services. Like, yes, we want to honor God with the way that we dress, which means you should never wear orange to church. One of the first ways we honor God. No, all seriousness. Like some of us, some of us, our mode of honoring God is wearing a coat and tie. For others, it's blue jeans and a collared shirt. For some of you, it's shorts and a t-shirt. But here's what we can't do. We can't make the way we dress in order to honor God for worship a rule because God doesn't place it as a rule. And yet so many churches do so, don't they? So many Christians have said, well, if you're not wearing your Sunday best, then you're not honoring God. Here's the problem. My Sunday best is different than your Sunday best. And we can't make that into a law. Parenting, specifically education, is another one that happens. Like some Christian parents believe that the only way to honor God with their child's education is to homeschool. Others just know they have to go to Christian school. Other parents are like, no, they can go in public school. Listen, you, we can't 
judge other Christian parents based on whether or not their kids are homeschooled in Christian school or in public school. Because it's not a law. The thing that God has told us to do as parents is to disciple our kids. We are the number one primary disciplers of our children. But that doesn't matter. But what God doesn't matter, doesn't care about is how you educate them. Whether or not they go to public school or homeschool or Christian school. We can't make that a law. We can't condemn someone or look down on someone because they have a different law than us. Hey, let's hit a little bit closer to home. What about what happens when we gather as a church? Like, we all have different ideas of what a church should be, don't we? We all have different ideas of what a church should do. Like, some people say, you know what, a church should be built around small groups, meeting in homes. Others say, nope, you've got to have Sunday school. You've got to meet on campus. What about preaching? We'll hit, hit even closer to home. Like, yes, Scripture says that we are to, to teach the full counsel of God. It teaches us and tells us that we are to to not take Scripture out of context, to preach and teach the way God intended us. But here's the reality. I prefer verse by verse, going through a book of the Bible and just walking through that verse. But here's what I can't do. I can't judge and condemn other pastors in town that choose topical preaching over expositional preaching. What about worship? This is a big one. There's never been a worship war in the church, has there? Listen, some, maybe even some in this room, prefer more fast, upbeat, get-your-feet-moving type of worship. Others of us prefer more meditative, more contemplative worship. Some of you are like, man, break out the hymns. I just want to turn to 345 and sing the first and third stanza. <laughs> Here's the truth, though. We can't make that the law. Because God hasn't. Yet those are, the, those are the traditions of men that have come in place. Here's one that's tough. What about alcohol? Can you even talk about that in church? Apparently not. But here's, here's the reality. Scripture is very clear. Very clear. That none of us are to be drunk with wine. But to be filled with the Spirit. So anything we put in our bodies to the point that it is controlling us and consuming us and altering us, like alcohol, it is wrong. God says it. It's very clear. He also says that we are not to cause one of our brothers and sisters to stumble. And the truth of the matter is there are many of us in this room and watching online that should never consume alcohol. But what Scripture doesn't say is you can't enjoy a cab with friends. It doesn't say that. And yet, Christians and churches have made that into a law. Now, is it advisable? Is it wise to avoid? Sure, absolutely. But it's not a law. Spiritual disciplines is another one that we use. Like, you should have a quiet time the way, you should have a devotional time the way I do. Because if you're not doing it the way I do it, then you're doing it wrong. It should be in the morning. Or it should be in the evening. Or it should be at lunchtime. Or maybe you should pray the same way I pray. And if you don't pray the way I pray, if your prayer life doesn't look like my prayer life, then you're doing it wrong. Listen, those are all areas that we can get consumed in. We can get, we can get sucked into. And here's my point is this. We have to be very careful in all these areas and others. That we don't do like the Pharisees and put our preferences at the same level as God's requirements. Does that make sense? 
Everybody is mad. Perfect. Did my job. <laughs> Let's look at the fourth area. And this is this, that legalists manipulate God's word for their own advantage. Manipulate God's word for their own advantage. And Jesus gives us an example here of how the Pharisees had created this this loophole in obeying the fifth commandment, which the fifth commandment is that we are to honor our mother and father. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles their father or mother must surely die. But you say, this is the Pharisees, you say that if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And then he adds this idea, and many such things you do. Here's, here's, this is, here's what's actually happening. See, the Pharisees had created a theological loophole. And they had used this man-made term called Corban, which really only means something dedicated to God. God had commanded us and commands us to honor our mother and father. And one of the ways that was fleshed out, particularly in New Testament times, because they didn't have IRAs and other retirement plans, is that when your parents were no longer working, you as the children, one of the ways you honored them was to care for them, to provide for them. So here's what the Pharisees would do. They, would, they came up with this term called Corban. They said, listen, I'm going to dedicate everything I have to God. It's going to be Corbin. And because it's Corbin, that means I no longer have to honor my mother and father. So I'm going to use the tradition of man. I'm going to manipulate this so that I no longer have to honor them. I can dishonor my parents because I've devoted everything to God. And that's crazy logic, isn't it? I'm, I'm giving everything to you, Jesus. Therefore, I can be a jerk to the rest of the people around me. It's nuts. That's what they were doing. They had this idea. Hey, Freedom, it's Pastor Eric. And for those of you who were watching online yesterday, you are well aware that the power went out in Evans. Um, it wasn't because we didn't pay the power bill. Uh, the transformer got shut down for about an hour, which cut off the end of our message. And really what I wanted to do today is just take a moment and talk about the end of this passage in Mark chapter 7 because Jesus concludes this whole talk about legalism and and the dangers of legalism within the body of Christ by really talking about our hearts we talked yesterday about the fact that Christianity that following Jesus is really about the heart it's not about our behavior and behavior modification. It's really about our heart because if God has our heart, then he has us. And at the end of Mark chapter or Mark 7 in the section that we were talking about in verse 21, Jesus says from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetingness, wickedness, and he lists this, this multitude of, of evil that can come from our, within our own hearts. And so ultimately what Jesus is saying and using this passage to do is to foreshadow the cross. 
He's helping us understand that he came to redeem me from me and you from you and us from us. Because what really matters, what is of utmost importance, is that Jesus has a hold of our hearts. Because our hearts have the capacity for every type of sin. See, within our hearts is the root of every human sin, both those that have been committed and those we haven't even dreamed up yet. And Jesus in this moment is saying, listen, you're going to need the cross. You're going to need redemption. And it is through the cross that Jesus points us to and says the only way that you can be found acceptable to God is by the gospel. By the cross. Because Jesus redeems us, not by keeping the law, not by behavior, but by what he has done. And ultimately, the argument between legalism and, and the gospel is this. That all forms of religion, all forms of ways to pursue God can be boiled down to two different paths. And they can be summed up with two different words. Do and done. You see, what legalism teaches and what most religions teach us is that in order for us to be acceptable to God, in order for us to be in right relationship with God, we have to do. And so what legalism and what religion says is, I have to do in order to earn God's acceptance. What must I do? <laughs> but here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's what the, here's what the gospel of the kingdom of God teaches us. And it says, listen, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. Being accepted by God is entirely based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So ultimately, the question we have to ask ourselves is when God, when he looks at our heart, what does he see? When he examines our heart, what does he see? Does he see a legalist that is saying, look what I do in order to earn God's acceptance? Or does it see a humble sinner saying, Jesus, thank you for what you have done in order to redeem me. And ultimately, that's what this entire passage is about, as Jesus is trying to show us the vast difference between the religion of the Pharisees and the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the difference between the two has, has eternal significance. So I just want to take a moment today just to update you for those of you who missed out and for those of you who were there maybe a recap of what we talked about in Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 23. Hope you have a blessed week and we look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday as we continue this series on the Gospel of Mark.